Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. A child protective services case is one of the most frightening experiences for any parent. Don't face it alone. Face it with confidence, with urgent assist by CPS Protect. You can have access to former CPS investigators to make sure you preserve your rights and protect your family. If you're facing CPS involvement and aren't sure where to turn, their child welfare consultants can help you. Visit cpsprotect.com forward slash subscribe and enter the coupon code slam the gavel for 60% off your first year of urgent assist. And this is available in all 50 states. I have another announcement. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away in the fall of 2022. Bradley is autistic and needs structured and routine therapies he received for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to Italian social services. If he is ruled to go back, he will then face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system, where he can speak or understand the language. He will then be taken away from the only family he has ever known, and we have Judge Ann Donnelly to thank for that. Please call Governor Hochul at 518-474-8390. That's Governor Hochul, 518-474-8390, to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States. One last announcement. Go to the site, pleasedoyourjob.com. We need 2,500 more signatures to get a case reopened. That's pleasedoyourjob.com. I have a return guest on. I have Stacy Sonnelitter back on. Uh, the last time she was on my podcast was season three, episode 155, and season four, episode 13, where we discussed uh, what to do when your opponent is a friend of the court and the steps to take. But I have her on here today where she was, is going to discuss her oral argument in the New York State Appellant Division, 4th Department. And that was just about last week. So how are you doing after all of that, Stacy? Welcome. Thank you, Marianne. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm so thrilled and honored to be on your show. And I very much look up to you and your wisdom and all your efforts. And thank you for everything you do. Well, thank you. I was so, I watched your oral argument and you were just so well put together and said it all. And just, (laughs) I was so impressed. Well, thank you. You know, I I took some liberty being pro se. And so I said some things that most attorneys would not say in the courts. You know, I gave a little introduction of myself and a little bit of background, and you would never see an attorney take up some time, um, your limited time in the appellate court to to do that. But I did that because I'm a person, I'm a human being, and so are my kids. And to give a little bit of background, I think was helpful, even though the judges are anxious to get to the meat and potatoes of the argument. But in my introduction, um, I stated that uh, I am a physician assistant. I've served the community for 24 to 25 years. The reason I became a physician assistant was to take care of my family and my kids someday. And most recently, I became a certified paralegal through our local college. And the reason I did that was because my kids and other kids need my help. And this is the most critical calling as a mom. Uh, that I have to protect them from an abusive parent through our courts. Mm -hmm. 
I gave that introduction and I told them that I was appearing in front of them in my children's honor because they need me to do this for their safety. And um, so, of course, as soon as I was pretty much done giving that introduction, they reminded me to move on because of time. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Yeah. He said to get to the meat and potatoes of your case. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, but the thing is, you need to build your case as they do in criminal court, you know, to discuss your past and that you're not some dingbat pro se up there just jumping right into the case. I think that was smart to give your background so they know that you are very well, you know, with it and right. educated, I mean. Unfortunately, there are, you know, to, to just not put it any better other way and just to state the reality of it is many judges, if not most or all, have narcissistic tendencies. And unless you um, show that you know uh, their people, then they almost don't listen. So I made the choice to become a paralegal, not just because I didn't, not just because I wanted to represent myself better, but the bigger motives to become a paralegal were uh, so that people would actually listen to me in the courtroom mm -hmm. and not blow me off so much. Mm -hmm. And also uh, because I do help you know, other families and because um, if they were to discredit me, that's to also discredit our local college that produces paralegals. Mm hmm so it it more was to um up my up my game than it was to sincerely become a paralegal in fact i may never work as a, as a paralegal <laughs> right you know so it was more strategy than anything and i had to make that known in my argument or they would blow me off just as any other person yet again Mm hmm. I've been there. Yes, I've been blown off. <laughs> and they still want to blow you off because you're exposing truths that put egg on their face. Mm hmm. So it was it was even more so for that as well. Just they'll, they'll, they'll blow you off. Sadly. Right. And I don't even know, did they even look at your evidence? You know, right, because they made a question about that. And I'm going to tell you, I did a whole like data download dump in um, in that um, in my record, because when I was arguing the case um, in the lower courts, I knew that I would likely have to do an appeal. Mm -hmm. So I had a dump of all the evidence of of child abuse. And it's uh superfluous it's not it's not like a he said she said uh my children disclosed sex abuse to counselors to their friend's parent to you know over the phone to me and a witness heard it and supplied an affidavit my daughter had runaway behaviors from her father she was hospitalized because she ran away so many times. Mm -hmm. The father journaled about using force on her, and she was complaining of being strangulated. Um, 
my son developed sexualized behaviors as a result of his abuse. The evidence is not minimal. The evidence is superfluous. And I did a data dump of all this and put it in the record. And it still seemed as though they thought it wasn't in there. Uh, my ex was also indicated four times by a neighboring child protective services. And uh, they act like it doesn't exist. Okay, so, you know, some people might not know what the word super, super <laughs> superfluous means. Well, I mean, it was just, there, there was a lot of right. evidence that, that I put to the record. Uh, I have, just for an example, I have all of the CPS unredacted records and my children disclosed sex abuse and strangulation to Niagara County CPS. My daughter said when, where, why it happens. She lied about her homework. She crumbled it. She told a lie. She got strangulated. And my son said he saw it happen when and where in the backpack room. And they didn't do anything about it, but it's in the records. Mm -hmm. My daughter did a handwritten statement while she was at her father's house, not my house. And it's, and it's stated in the record and in court transcript because we took testimony from the caseworker and she knew that this statement was written while at the father's house, not my house, mm -hmm. that her father pinches her privates and she doesn't want to live with him anymore because she doesn't want to be scared. She wants to live with mom. And they also did nothing about that. But all of this is in the record um, with the appellate court and they, they acted like it wasn't there. Now, my ex tried to argue res judicata. Mm -hmm. And what res judicata means is you can't relitigate something that was already litigated. But res judicata does not apply when it prejudices the other party. And therefore, it should not apply to cases involving custody and visitation because there's no way to examine properly the best interests of children if you just make all the evidence go away and don't examine the entire history in totality. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the things that I was arguing against is that the court below erred in applying res judicata to the past history of child abuse, but also one of the pieces of evidence was from March 31st, 2022, where my daughter um, uh, once again discussed her child sex abuse history with her father, and that this was on a speakerphone conversation with me, and I just happened to have somebody at my house at the same time who witnessed the conversation and supplied an affidavit. So, in effect, she revived her past disclosures of sex abuse, and that makes them current once again as well. Mm -hmm. So now what are they going to do? Well, of course, you won't know from the appellate for maybe a couple months what their decision is. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen because uh, one of the points I made in my appeal is this is a, a finding by our federal government. It's called a national, I think it's um 
within within reach, which is a national strategy to geared at reducing preventable child deaths from abuse and neglect. And with the finding of their researches and their publication is the number one factor that that gives an idea of risk of future child death from abuse or neglect is calls placed to CPS hotline, regardless of the disposition. So it doesn't matter if the calls are indicated or not. If there's a litany of calls to child protective services on somebody, that is the number one predictor of a future child death or fatality from abuse and neglect. So it doesn't even matter if they're indicated or not, but my ex has four indications. So I'm able to prove imminent danger because he has four indications, plus he has where the kids disclosed sex abuse and strangulation as well in their past. Mm-hmm. And the appeal was on a dismissal for a application for a temporary order of protection and custody. I was not, de- I was denied, not, not denied. I was denied uh, uh, evidentiary hearing on both of those applications. There was no evidentiary hearing. Plus the attorney for children was somebody who had withdrawn from a prior case involving our kids because he can't provide effective assistance of counsel, but yet they kept him on the case. And then there was no evidentiary hearing. It's such a big mess. (sighs) Well, yeah, it's a mess because they did all these things they shouldn't have done. If they did the right things from day one, there wouldn't be a mess. The right thing would have happened. They created their own mess. And the truth is coming to light. They're wearing egg on their faces. Are they going to keep digging their heels in the sand and making an even bigger mess? Wow. If they would only look at the evidence in the in the beginning, I mean, I know it would probably slow down their cases for the day, but if they looked at this evidence, they could make the decision and parents wouldn't have to suffer for months and years trying to get all this Done. Parents and children. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, these parents are fighting desperately for their children to have a safe place, you know, with them, with a safe parent. And these judges don't care. So a couple of things, I think. The the most important thing, I think, in, in any case is what happens in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's when people like myself are most naive and that's when you're vulnerable and that's when they do things as swiftly as possible before you even know what happened um but it's those beginning stages that are the most critical Mm -hmm. and if you can get someone to do the right things at the beginning of your case from the first step you'll be a lot better and in my case i think the most critical errors were my attorney knew there was sex abuse issues And my ex-husband is an attorney, former attorney for Child Protective Services, current attorney for Niagara County Public Defender's Office. And she filed my divorce application to the same courts he works in regularly. That was probably the biggest mistake any attorney could make, if not a mistake, intentional sabotage. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So if I had an attorney from the onset file in a different county because of the conflict of interest, I would be, my kids would be home and this would have just never happened. And second to that is, like you said, they ignored all the evidence because, you know, these are courts that he practiced in regularly. And, well, I can say probably now that I know that they knew what they were doing was wrong because I found a bribe, I'm pretty sure, that was to a senator, a former senator. And all this only cost a $500 bribe to, to arrange. Um, but yeah, he made a off cycle. My ex made an off cycle campaign donation to Senator Maziar's, um, just a couple months before I filed for divorce. He knew I was filing for divorce and, um, that particular Senator got in trouble for using his campaign funds as personal money. And that Senator got arrested for that. So, um, in effect, that was that was a that was a bribe, and then that senator set up the judge Richard Clock, um, and Richard Clock only got his position as a judge because of the senator Maziar's. And when my when my children's pediatrician testified about the sex abuse, and that he felt that the kids were sexually abused, that senator's wife was in the courtroom as the secretary to the judge. So she was kind of in my my mind, she was the the guard dog to make sure that the judge was enacting the wishes of her husband. And so custody went to my ex. This is this has happened, well, your case, my case, another parent's case where there is this conflict of interest where these cases should not even be in the these courthouses again where you know your ex was working uh my ex's wife was working <laughs> i you know this is just so disgusting and now your children have to sit around and suffer for years or my yeah right unless unless the appellates really think about this and just give you custody is that what your hope could be i mean what are they going to do? I mean, he has four CPS indications by Erie County. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids disclosed sex abuse. The kids disclosed strangulation. It's in the record. And it, it, to what point are they going to keep digging their heels in the sand? I mean, it's unfortunately you see cases like this where they they do and that that could very well be my future that they continue to do that because you see the same thing sometimes when it's so obvious Mm -hmm. yeah i think sometimes persistence pays off and you seem to be a persistent person do you know how persistent i am (laughs) (laughs) this um this past week I traveled to New York City with a gentleman who uh, is just such an inspirational story. And I and I, I really want people to listen to the details right here about this gentleman. Mm-hmm. He was labeled as learning disabled in the school system growing up. And as an adult, he represented himself pro se 
and just appeared before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in the United States. That is the second highest court in the United States he just appeared in. He did all that himself, navigated the courts. So now I traveled with him and I guarantee if my appeals are denied, I'm going there. Right. Absolutely. So they can keep trying to sabotage me, but I'm going to keep persisting and escalating my case. Absolutely. And now I know how to do it. I think that's excellent. I heard of this fellow. Um, of course, you know, Facebook seems to be the national news, it seems, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I've heard of him. And, you know, he's, I don't think he ever was learning disabled. And I, again, you can also grow out of that too, but still he, he now well, his way. You know, or just people have different ways of learning. Right. And he wasn't thriving in the, 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 the traditional ways of learning. Um, but yeah, clearly he's resourceful mm -hmm. and that's, that's one of the biggest things you need to be today beyond intelligence is resourceful and um and he figured everything out and did it that's pretty so. smart i mean because a lot of parents don't realize the paperwork and the research that goes into writing these briefs and i don't know if you have to do i don't know it where you're at if you had to do a reproduced record but that's another pain yeah. in your end okay yes yeah, I know. I've heard of some, I've heard of some courts that will send your whole record over by CD to the appellate court, but no, we have to reproduce the record here. And, um, you know, and, and it's not just um, the, the time it takes. It's also all the blocks that they put in there to make it hard for the average person to figure out all the technicalities and the steps involved. And they hope that you'll, succumb to you know this step or that step or this technicality and just fall back and roll over and not proceed mm -hmm. um you know i get that all the time in fact i can tell you right now in the appellate department and fourth in the fourth department in new york state they just got way pickier about the scrutiny of accuracy of you know records and so if you file a motion or a petition or you know, they are scrutinizing and deleting them right and left. So you have to keep filing again, correct what they want, correct what they want. They used to let certain things fly. They don't now. Even if you're pro se, they're supposed to not hold you to the same strict standards, but they're deleting things right and left and making you have to, you know, reapply, hoping that you just give up. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, that, that's their ultimate thing, either to run you so ragged that you give up or, you know, maybe just die you know yeah yeah. And, yeah i was persistent too and when i was in school i was labeled as a learning disability i don't think i was though i just didn't want to do my homework you know <laughs> see yeah I was, to be honest right i was always getting yelled at for that but i was i was smart enough to get you know two wins in the superior court of pennsylvania so it, you can't judge someone by a, right. an alleged learning disability. 
but you know it but those stories and like yours it gives people hope because it is an overwhelming stressful process um for me yes oh i for can me, imagine the stress you're under knowing your kids are with a child abuser yeah and for me too like just the first appeal i ever did was so stressful because i really figured it all out on my own um, Jackie Padanik from Be Loud State Watchers was helping me to some degree, but um, uh, it's still, it was tremendously stressful to, to figure out the process. And it took me probably quite to a year to do my first ever appeal. And I'm telling you, there were probably 10 cardboard boxes on the other side of my bed <laughs> I slept uh, to every, uh, next to every night because I was like if I have a minute I got to work on this you know um and uh, I was working several jobs at the time uh super super stressful but once you get one under your belt then the rest kind of tend to flow mm -hmm. well I had lost two cases in you know the superior court so, but I kept, I was persistent. I just kept coming back until this right. was corrected. It had to get yeah. corrected. Yeah, you do. You keep going back, mm -hmm. you know, everything that they reject, you fix whatever they say is the deficiency and, and keep persisting. And I don't, I don't know how it is for every state, but you know, you can file extensions of time. And even if you, even if you fail to do an extension of time and you miss that, you can vacate the default for up to a year after the last um, the last extension you got. So if you do two or three extensions, the vacate for the default is at the time of the last extension, not the time the appeal was filed. So you can you can really keep an appeal going a very long time. So if it's your first one and you're really trying to learn it, keep doing those extensions and don't forget you can also vacate the default for up to a year. Well, that's interesting. I I wish I would have known that in my federal case, but that was doomed anyway. Well, I don't know. I don't know so much the rules for federal because they're a little bit different, but I am doing a federal appeal right now. They're a little bit different, but seemingly once again, you do one appeal, an appeal in any court is pretty similar. There's so much to learn from you. And when you, you started off talking, did you feel nervous? Like, mm -hmm. like how's this going to go? So I'm not much of a crier. But it was emotional for me. And at times it did, it takes your breath away. Like I, I remember like, you know, making this statement that I'm here in my kid's honor was kind of like, you know, um, but it's also, um, it's high stakes. You know, I'm not, I'm not arguing an appeal about $10. I'm arguing an appeal about my children's life, their safety. And I don't think as any parent, you can get up there and not feel um, the magnitude of the situation as you're speaking. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you held it all together. <laughs> I mean, because I could I I heard your voice shake and I understood why, <laughs> you know, this mm -hmm. is just absolutely egregious. What has gone on? Disgusting. 
And yeah. And, and, and that's the other thing too, is I'm not just there arguing for my kid's life and their safety. I'm also exposing the, the underbelly of the beast. Right. <laughs> and, and how, yeah. How it got to that point. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm literally arguing before these judges that, um, you know, putting egg on their face for not listening to my prior appeals about my children's abuse. You know, and now there's four CPS indications where before they should have listened sooner, but they chose not to. Yeah, that's really very disgusting. Uh, it's all on who you know and who you, right? I mean, this yeah. is how they work. Yeah. So I, I, I don't want to, I'm sure I'm going to misstate this judge's name. But when I went to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, the U.S. Second Circuit Court of Appeals, um, with Shane this past week, the one judge, I just, I was enamored by him. And I've never had that feeling before about a judge. Mm -hmm. But the higher the court you go into, I think the more professional they are, the more that they truly care to follow the rules. Plus, when you're getting to a higher court, they're also making law because if they make a certain ruling in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, that becomes law that other courts have to follow. So it affects a lot more people than any adjudication arising from family court. Mm -hmm. So they're much more professional. The, the case before Shane, they were... It was like an hour they were deliberating on um, uh, uh, what is deliberate um, uh, interference and difference. Yeah. On a medical malpractice case. And they were just dissecting that because their adjudication affects so much. So it gets much more professional when you get to the higher courts. And so going with my friend to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, um, his name was Giulio Calabrese, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Cabrese, I, and I'm so sorry, but I know if you Google his name, it'll come up because he's well known. He really cared, um, about right things happening. The, the opposition in the medical malpractice case was the attorney, New York state attorney general's office, because it was a prisoner, mm. um, who had prostate cancer. So the the federal judges were being actually abrupt with the New York State Attorney General's office um, and kind of calling them out for being ridiculous in, in this case. So, uh, you know, don't, you know, like I said, Shane, you said you had, were labeled with learning disabilities, but you navigated the courts. So I think if more people did that and realized that yes, it's intimidating, but you can work through it and do it and get to these higher courts where there's more professional judges, mm -hmm. you know, that's, there's, you might see more remedy. Yeah. Uh, it's, there has to be remedy. It, it shouldn't take this long. This no problem. It just shouldn't take this long, but you have to understand again, these judges, when they produce ridiculous orders, they're calling your bluff. So you should be offended because mm -hmm. they're saying 
yeah, I know this person will not take this any further. They don't have the ability. So show them the ability and do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's excellent. I always encourage people if they say, you know, I want to take this to federal court. Uh, I never say, you know, no, don't do it. I would never tell anyone, no, don't do it. Because what if they win? Right. There's always a possibility. Uh, I, right. I I didn't win, but that was because of collusion and the opposing attorney that was representing the CPS corporation and two caseworkers um said to me that he knew both judges in the federal courthouse and he was going to get the case dismissed and that's pretty much how it was going to go which it kind of did but, but again, if you took that to the second circuit court of appeals which is the federal court above them they're going to be more removed from the situation oops oh no my battery um let me find a way to plug in they're going to be more removed from the situation and that collusion isn't going to have such a stronghold it went to the appeals court and they just dismissed the case within four months. Now the, the federal district appeals court or the, 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 you went to the U S Supreme. It went to the, the court higher than the federal court. It did. Wow. And, but I think it's all in who, you know, I think they knew, you know, the case had merit. And I think when the case has merit, they want to just dismiss it because they don't want to, do some type of settlement or payout or after destroying your life and your children's lives. Right. Yeah. It's terrible. Oh. But yeah, I, I still think, you know, there's all different ways to fight things. I mean, I also think that relying on the courts isn't always the right answer either, because part of how I got my kids back was the things that I did outside of the court too. Um. <clears throat> You have to think outside the box sometimes. Like one of the things I did was I opened up a coffee shop with an art room just down the street from my ex's house where my kids were living and they couldn't resist, but to not come over. Right. <laughs> you know, and, um, and then their father couldn't explain why they wouldn't be allowed to come over. Mm -hmm. because there is no legitimate reason. And um, that's part of how I expanded my access with my kids too. So hmm. as much as I say, you know, go higher in your courts, also think outside of the box and don't don't give the court the ultimate authority. Mm -hmm. Don't make them the only authority. Do things outside of court, too. You can't be dependent on just the courts. They want you dependent on them. Mm -hmm. And it generates revenue for them. Right. And that could be another podcast in itself because that would go into title for B, D, and E. Right. You know, and then you hear of parents that become um, lunch monitors in their kids' school. Just, you know, other things to think outside of the box, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, because there's 20 ways to skin a cat, you know. Right. Yeah. And if you're just relying on the courts, then you're giving them the ultimate authority in your life. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but do things, you know, there's, there's those recurring gift sort of, uh, things, you know, so I send my kids soap and shampoo from, you know, 
my doctor squatch or whatever the, you know, yeah. and um, just those little programs like that, that send them something. So they know you're always thinking of them. If you're able to do that mm -hmm. cards, send them cards and just, um, but just do, do things outside the box. Definitely. And where are you at now with your kids? I have access with my kids. Um, so my, my twins come every week, like they come every other weekend, every Wednesday. And I have a couple of weeks uninterrupted in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, my older kids, my son has turned violent is his um, coping to in response to his victimization. So that relationship is a little more strained. Mm -hmm. My 17 year old daughter um, she kind of has agoraphobia and some issues, so she doesn't really even come out of the house. Um, but she, we maintain contact by phone and, and regular that way. Um, but this is all failure to thrive. You know, my son have becoming violent and having sexualized behaviors. He was arrested because of it. Um, I put, I filed an affidavit to his case where he was arrested saying, Hey, look at the dad, because my son disclosed sex abuse at a young age. Probably this was bona fide child abuse that nobody has addressed mm -hmm. precipitating his violent behaviors. And this is, you know, what needs to be taken care of to help him. And they obstructed that affidavit from his case and deleted it. How wrong. And that is, uh, it these judges are child abusers in black robes. And, yeah. you know, Kenneth Gottfried wrote that book, Child Abusers Wear Black Robes. Yeah, and it's legit treason. Uh, my heart breaks for you, for your kids and everything. I just, my heart goes out to you. <laughs> yeah, so um, it is, you know, it is, it's, but it's failure to thrive. His, you know, he's not doing well emotionally. My daughter having agoraphobia, which is in her medical records. Um, and she doesn't even go to school. And her homeschooling program through the school district, they rely on the father's honor system of reporting grades and attendance. And yet he's indicated for educational neglect. Oh. What don't they get? They know what they're doing. I always tell people, please, this is not error. This is intentional. Mm -hmm. This is intentional. Mm -hmm. And um, and my twins, you know, they're doing reasonably well, but um, they know that the court is lying about their wishes. Mm -hmm. Um. So they really know what's going on because they know what they have said to their attorney for children and know that their attorney for children is not saying that in the courtroom. Yeah, people say, well, these judges need to be educated more in this and that. It's like they already are. They, they don't they're just being paid off. It's all in who, you know, you know, and who you, you know, and in fact, people who say that. Mm -hmm. are actually helping judges lie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because when people say that it's judicial error and mistake, that's the whole cover-up. Everything they do, they try to give it the appearance of, oh, a mistake because that's excusable. Mm 
So you're saying, oh, yes, what they did was excusable. They just didn't know. No, no. This is intentional, willful, deliberate trafficking of children. That's well said. You know, um, what is your next move from here? Just waiting, just waiting to see what they say, huh? Well, a couple of things I want to tell people. One of, one of my biggest pet peeves, I'm just going to start right there with my biggest pet peeve. I started court watching because it was the right thing to do. And I started it out of sincerity to add a layer of transparency in our courts mm-hmm. and to make it harder for judges to traffic our children. Mm-hmm. That's why I started court watching. But I'm going to tell you, when you do something right, and you do good in the world, it comes back to you tenfold. Mm-hmm. And everything that I've done with court watching has helped me tenfold. Because A, when you divorce an attorney, they want to take you on a little journey through every aspect of law and drag you through it. Bankruptcy, foreclosure, um, you know, all the aspects of law, they want to drag you through each one. Mm-hmm. And so when you go in a new court watch, you know a lot more about the law than you would have known if you didn't. Mm-hmm. And all these people that are Facebook warriors, keyboard warriors that don't get off their couch. Some of this is on you too, for not getting up and getting out there. Mm-hmm. Go and court watch for your friends, for people, other cases, because that's going to make you stronger and smarter. And you're going to see through these courts that it's not error. It's willful, deliberate, and intentional. And when you know that, you're going to be stronger for knowing it. And I, So all these people that complain need to get off their couch. Exactly. Um, when I was court watching, you know, the judge had this was down in Florida on this poor mom who was a pro se and she was talking and he just deliberately muted her so I I filed a complaint and I think that's very important for these court watchers that when they see this behavior or they see a judge yelling at an attorney or the pro se file a complaint and absolutely because even the transcript sometimes isn't going to capture how the judge actually behaved and they're skilled at making the transcript look better than what they did. So when they're being obnoxious and their tone of voice, that's never captured in transcript, you can report their tone of voice. Exactly. Not just report it to the judicial committee, but you can actually file a non-party witness affidavit as a court watcher and file it directly to the person's case, which may actually help them when they go for an appeal or when they go to file a motion for the judge to be recused, they can put your affidavit in an exhibit. And that testimony from court watchers is going to be, in effect, remind judges that they work for us. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, even if, bad people start becoming court watchers and doing bad things it still has the effect of reminding judges that we're their boss right which is 
more important because right now I feel it's the government for the government by the government, not by the people. Yeah, you're right. And I had, I was talking to one of my friends. I said, Hey, I filed a complaint on this judge. And uh, she, she said, well, I didn't do mine yet. I don't, you know, whatever. It's like, you have to make time to file these complaints. And, and that person isn't isn't super being your friend in that moment because the more people that file complaints makes you as the one who filed a complaint less vulnerable. Mm -hmm. The more people that do this and do it in droves protect the people who might've singularly done it and been more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They can pick on one person. They can't pick on 25. Well, in fact, you know, I was court watching uh, in Kentucky for uh, a friend uh, and the judge would not listen to his motions. Just we'll, we'll discuss this at another time. However, I, you know, I had gotten in there early and I was watching a female attorney argue for more time for the mom. And there was no child abuse in the case. There was nothing. There's no reason. I'm I'm here, you know, as I, if I was a judge, I'd be like, yeah, I give her more time. But he was doing the same thing to her. He was just saying, well, we'll just discuss this. And I didn't know the attorney's name. So while I filed that complaint for my friend on that judge, you know, it bothered me. And I filed another complaint and I wrote to them. I said, there was a female attorney. She was wearing yellow. She had light brown hair. She was arguing for more time for the, for her, the, the mother to have more time. And this judge was doing the same thing. So I just sent that off. So I don't know, maybe that will help that lawyer or I can find out who this is. But yeah, it's a, so, you know, you have to remember our, judges well first of all i hinted to the fact that or just blatantly said judges tend to be narcissistic mm -hmm. and one of the the one of the, the the demise of the narcissist is that they never know where to stop so they get away with something then they keep getting away and they keep you know pressing the envelope right so um that's it to their demise so um they're they're bold right now. They do their dirty in front of anyone or anything on the record. They don't care. They're bold because they feel they can keep getting away with it. Mm -hmm. So that's to our, to our benefit though, because they're going to lose track of how bold they can get before it starts biting them in the butt. Mm -hmm. So one of those ways is again, they're so bold. They're doing such bad things. Now it's time for people to start watching it in the courtrooms, reporting it, filing non-party witness affidavits to the case. Because at some point, if the public becomes participatory to such a level and keeps reporting this, it's it may not eradicate the corruption, but it's going to keep it in better control. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's to our fault that people don't get off their couch and go do this. I almost every single person I have helped with my own precious volunteer time doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Almost universally, they they get their kids or whatever and go away. And and it just it's almost to the point it's painful. That 
they're not coming back and helping and reaching back for people behind them to help. Yeah, and I and these behaviors it needs to stop. Right. Because I understand they've been traumatized. I'm glad they got their kids back, but I think they should still remain in the battle to help these other parents. And it, this is why I'm doing this. Uh, you know, I, I got my kids back, just non-custodial parent. So I still got crapped on, but, and now they've aged out, but I'm here. And, you know, if I get notified to watch a, a case or whatever, I'm going to get on the Zoom as much as Marianne, I can. Marianne, knowing and in action by law is aiding and abetting. Mm -hmm. So if you get your kids back and you run off the scene and don't help anymore, you're aiding and abetting. Mm -hmm. You know, because you went through this to get your kids and then you disappear. You're helping along. Exactly. I'm a physician assistant. So whenever I say that, that means I read the research. And the research says people who fare the best psychologically after going through a traumatic event like this, the ones who fare the best become advocates in the, in the area of their trauma. Mm -hmm. So not only... Is it the right thing to do to get your kids and come back and keep court watching or do something or like you have a podcast and court watch, right? Mm -hmm. Not only is it cycle, not only is it the right thing to do and um, absolves yourself of aiding and abetting mm -hmm. by knowing and in, in action, it's also psychologically the healthiest thing for you to do. Thank you. Yes, I think it helps you know, a lot. It helps to get parents' stories out. And uh, I'm so glad you came on. And uh, if there's any advice on, you know, what you just did with your oral argument, what advice could you give a parent? You have to do what you need to do to put your head on your pillow at night and know that you fought your hardest for your kid. Because maybe one side says, oh, I spent a lot of money. I did enough. I can stop there. You're never going to put your head on your pillow at night and truly convince yourself you did enough. You can't step away. You need to keep advocating for your kids if you know they're being abused. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one thing if <clears throat> my ex is an attorney kidnapped my kids fraudulently through the courts, but he was actually a good dad and whatever. That would be one thing, but I'm, I can't put my head on my pillow at night until I know my kids are safe. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people might need to tap out for a minute and come back. Fine. I get that. Mm -hmm. But ultimately you need to do what allows you to put your head on your pillow and know that you gave your every atom of dedication to your kids without falsely convincing yourself you did because your right mind will still always know you didn't if you didn't mm -hmm. so think outside the box do things that are outside the courtroom because you don't want to give them the ultimate authority in your life and control and submit to them that they're the only way you can get it to your kids because they're not mm -hmm. think outside the box 
fight on many fronts, outside the box, on your own time, in the courts, fight on many fronts. And remember, people who admit to having learning disabilities have navigated the system. So there's no excuse. Keep fighting. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. How can people reach you if they have any questions? So I, um, I'm prevalent as a moderator on Be Loud State Watchers on Facebook. And I also have my own group for people that live locally um, in Erie and Niagara County, New York State. I have Be Loud Erie Niagara um, on Facebook as well. And you can contact me through those groups. Or if someone reaches out to you, you can put them into touch with me. Will do. Will do. So um, uh, don't jump off. Okay. Uh, Slam the Gala is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petri, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth, and recently released, Raised by These Wolves, How Family and Federal Courts Are Failing Our Children. Please join us again here in the future with Stacey Sonlitter and other exciting guests. You can find me on Spotify, YouTube, Apple iTunes, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, and feel free to donate, buy me a coffee to support this podcast. Thank you so very much, Stacey. Thank you, Marianne.